This morning's sermon test will be Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and verses 20 to 22. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it with like savor and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God. And the Lord will give you, will give wisdom from his mouth and knowledge and understanding. He stores up some wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and washing over the way of his sins. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will, bring, will be pleasant to your soul, discretion will wash over you, understanding will guide you. 20. So you will walk in the way of good. You will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of, of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will return in it, will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treasurers will be rooted out of it. I think most of you would, uh, I think most of you would agree uh, that wisdom and intelligence are not exactly the same thing. A few years ago, I shared um, what I found to be really an interesting story uh, regarding a young woman out of California scored perfect on her SATs, perfect. Every single question was answered correctly. And uh, so she was from a small town, the paper interviewed her and, and asked her the question, you know, seeing that she knew all the answers to all the questions that were asked for an SAT, they asked her, so what is the purpose of life? And her answer uh, was, I have no idea. Now, perfect, she, she was, colleges were coming to her, asking her to apply to them. She said, I have no idea. <clears throat> you know, wisdom in the Bible is not to be equated with IQ or test scores or some academic performance. It's rather seen in a life that is lived in a way that is worthy of imitation. That's what the Bible has as a definition of wisdom. When you see a wise person in the Bible, it's a person marked by integrity, generosity, uh, right relationships. You know, they are, they are walking in peace or shalom with others. That's kind of the picture you see. It's a life well lived, growing in faith. Nobody starts out holy, but it's this progress towards growing more and more holy. Now, it, this is a struggle for us. I think many of us, if you were to be asked, how are you growing? How do you feel you're progressing in faith? 
many of us feel like we're just treading water. We, we feel like we're, we're not drowning, but we're just treading water. We're kind of falling into the same sins over and over and over again. We can't really make any headway. We can't see a lot of progress over the years. Now, some of us are treading water. Others may feel like we're sinking. Actually, we're making choices that are destructive. We're making choices that are producing greater sorrow and regret. So what do we do? Well, the Bible offers us wisdom. The Bible offers us a path of growing in the faith, as Paul says, of progressing in joy and faith. And it's found in the book of Proverbs, at least one place. We'll be doing a series in Proverbs now. Uh, Proverbs is really a, a book about, it, it's a book of spiritual helps. It, it's not kind of you break the fortune cookie open and that's what you're going to find. It, it's not that kind of wisdom. It's a wisdom that is intended for sinners to grow in godliness. It's a book to help us spiritually. If this is where we are and that's where we want to be, Proverbs is a way to get there. So we're going to be looking at it. Over the next six weeks, uh, we'll be covering the wisdom of God on the power of words or the wisdom of God and the danger of envy or the wisdom of God and the uncertainty of riches, uh, the wisdom of God and the importance of true friends. So we'll be covering, and God will offer us wisdom that if we hear it and begin to walk in it, as John prayed, it does not save, but it brings us more and more and more into the image of God. Today we're looking at Psalm, or, um, Proverbs 2, and Proverbs 2 is written by, of course, Proverbs, most of it is written by Solomon to his son, but obviously the wisdom is applied from all parents to their children. Actually, chapter 2 is one Hebrew sentence. You see it in 22 verses, but it's one sentence. Because the father's making a singular point to his son. He's saying this, if you pursue wisdom, then you will find life. If you pursue a wisdom in God, then you will find life now and forever. It's that important. So if you're a note-taker, I want to look at four chunks in this, in this proverb. First is that he calls his son to seek wisdom. He, he's pressing on his son. You need to seek it. That's the first thing. Secondly, he tells us where the source of this wisdom is. It's going to be found in God and God alone. And then he's going to show us the benefits of wisdom. He, he's kind of encouraging us as to why you need to seek it, because it will not be easy. And then, and then last would be the fruit or the result or the end point of wisdom. There's a goal to this, right? When you instruct your children, you're not giving them wisdom for the day. You're trying to create in him a desire to live a certain way so that his life ends in the good. And that's what we're seeking here, the end of it. So first, that you see the call to seek wisdom. Let's look at the first four verses again. He says, my son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, do you understand he's not asking his son, hey, just keep an open mind to life. He's calling his son, you've got to seek it. You have to seek to know how to live. 
But notice, <clears throat> there's not one imperative. There's not one command in the whole chapter. He does it by <clears throat> what we call promise and warnings. You see, if you do this, then you'll have this. So he's encouraging his son. If you seek it, then notice in verse 5, then you will find understanding of Yahweh. You'll find knowledge of God. Or in verse 9, then you will find life of righteousness, justice, and equity. So it's an if-then. Now, why does he do it this way? Why does he teach in this conditional way? Well, I think he's showing to us that there are two roads. There's a road of folly, <clears throat> and there is a road of wisdom. What are you going to choose? Now, you can tell the urgency of the Father here. Notice the, uh, the number of verbs in the first four verses, and, and notice their kind of increasing or intensification. Receive, treasure, make attentive, incline, call out, raise up, seek and search. You, know, you, you have this pile on of verbs trying to drive this child to say, hey, you really need to seek it. It's urgent that you do it. <clears throat> that we have to seek wisdom. Now, let me just ask you, to what degree do you feel that you seek wisdom to live? How much do you seek it? You, you know, I, I know we get up and we just kind of do life, right? But do you think and do you seek how to do life right? Or do you just do life? Now, I know that every one of us in here has the capacity to, be, to make great efforts at what we want. It may be financial security that we want. We're going to really work hard to build up a 401k so that we can rest in that. We seek hard at keeping our bodies in shape. Some are very diligent, what they eat, what they do, all to create this body or figure that they want. Or friendships that we want to have. We're going to be anything we can be to anybody to have that relationship. We all know how to make efforts to get what we think is important. We take time. We spend our money. We, we focus our thoughts on these certain ends to get what we want. Well, to what degree do you seek wisdom? You do know that wisdom isn't just going to come to you. right? right? You, you don't just drift into it. It doesn't come to you by osmosis. You know, I, I want you to think of a person in a canoe, a, a canoe on a river that has a current. The canoe doesn't just move. You have to paddle it. It, it, it will go with it, but if you want to go somewhere, you have to paddle. You are required to make efforts to seek wisdom. It takes time. So, to what degree do you seek wisdom? If you were to, let me give you a question. If you were to ask a friend, to what degree do they see you making effort at seeking wisdom and finding it? Or a spouse, or if you're younger, Ask your parents that question. Or if you're a parent, ask your child. To what degree do you see me seeking this kind of wisdom? You know, in Proverbs 16, 16, he says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver? Listen, silver and gold is what we want. It's what we work for. It's what we strive for. And he says, wisdom is actually better than that. D does that convict you? Does that challenge your view of wisdom? Maybe you've just seen doing life as something that you just do out of habit or road or experience. He says, no, you've got to pursue it. And, and the first step in pursuing this kind of wisdom is that you're going to think you need it. You need this. If you don't think you need wisdom, you're not going to seek it. 
I mean, if you think, I've got plenty of smarts, I've got plenty of, of contacts that I can reach out to to get any source of wisdom I need, or, or perhaps you just have great experience. You know, you're, you've lived older, many years, you know what to do. And so you don't feel the same need. Well, experience and sources, they can be helpful, but it's not the same. Uh, this was made clear to me when I was in seminary. I was uh, mentored at a mentored internship with a pastor for about six months. And uh, while I was there, uh, he was asked by someone uh, outside the church to perform a wedding. And he said, um, he said, well, I'll perform the wedding, but you, know, you have to go through counseling. And he says, no, I don't want any of the counseling. I, I, I just want you to perform the service. And he says, no, we don't do it that way. We want to, we, you know, we, we offer counseling to those that we're going to marry. And he got, got like increasingly agitated. And finally, he just came out and said, listen, I've been married three times. I know all about marriage. I don't need any of your wisdom. Well, we need to seek this wisdom. But here's the question. Here's the question. Where do we seek it? I, I mean, where do you put your shovel in the ground? Where does X mark the spot? Where, where do you go for this wisdom? Well, obviously, it says you go to God. Now, notice, though, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, receive my instruction, treasure up my commands. That word for command is often used in the Old Testament, most often used for the commands of God. The father is not seeking to just draw from his own experience to teach his son. No, the father is drawing from the wisdom of God. And you see that because in verse 6, it says it very clearly. He says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. The Lord is the source of wisdom. In other words, the wisdom that we need to live is not something you and I can discover or discern. It's not man-made. It has to come from God. In fact, he says the very words of God, that God's word brings wisdom to us. The wisdom that you and I need to live in a way that we keep increasing as image bearers of God the wisdom that we need to grow in spiritual vitality so that we're not treading water, we're not sinking, it comes from God and God alone. God and his word, particularly in Proverbs. Proverbs is really a book about helping us become more like God. It's giving us wisdom in this life. I think either a horse is coming over the hill <laughs> or someone's getting a text or call. But that was too good to miss. I'm sorry, I, I had to do that one. That's beautiful. I gotta have Carol's. When I call Carol, that will be her new ringtone. <laughs> right now, it's the bells. I think of some church, but um, I like that one better. I don't know where I am right now. So, so, so the wisdom comes from the very words of God, and and, and particularly in Proverbs, but really in the Scriptures themselves. And and you see this because Jesus says that His will is to do the the words of Him, that the words of God, or what feeds him and strengthens him. So in other words, if you want to gain this wisdom, it's to be found in the scriptures. Think about the degree to which you study and read and listen and learn what God has to say on life. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Growth comes through the word of God. Now, I recognize that the Bible doesn't answer every question you may have in life. It's not intended to do that. There is, by the way, some very specific help and encouragement on how to live in the Bible. But remember, the Bible is a story of God's redemptive work among a people 
who are lost and unable to save themselves. You find the character of God, the goodness of God, the plans of God. You see the people of God. You see their failures, their successes. So in that gives us wisdom to know God, to love God, and that we can begin to be cultivating this understanding, just like, just like a, a husband gets to know his wife, and, and they can begin to live more in accordance with that knowledge. So we learn about God. But God has also been kind to us because he's given to the church pastors and teachers. In Ephesians 4, it says we're gifts. Just as a reminder to you, we are a gift to you to teach you, to equip you to do the works of ministry. But not just pastors and teachers. You are gifts to each other. In Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So the wisdom to live in this life comes from you soaking your minds in the scriptures and sharing them with one another. But we can also call out to God. We find this clearly in James when he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it to all without reproach. When was the last time you asked God, God, give me wisdom for this conversation, or this decision, or this conflict, or this blessing? But it's not just listening to the words of God, it is doing them. It just, can't you imagine a father training a son? Now, up till probably the last 75 to 100 years, most sons took the jobs of their fathers, right? You didn't have, most people now across the world, uh, most of them would follow. So if he's a carpenter, he, uh, the son ends up being a carpenter because the training is there. And you, and you would imagine that over time together, the son begins to, to do carpentry work like the father. And so as God's word is sought and the wisdom in it, we begin to look like God as we begin to do it. But we have to do it. You know, we have, well, when you hear the scriptures, then you're called to do them. The warning in James is to be a hearer and a doer. Otherwise, you deceive yourself. And by that, I think he means you hear it, you understand it, it makes sense to you, you believe it, but you don't do it so it doesn't conform you to it. Or Jesus himself said, whoever hears my words and does not do them is like the man who builds his house on the sand. Whoever hears my words and does them is like the man who builds his house on the rock. We all know what foundation we'd like under our house. It's to hear and do. So what I mean by that is this. So the way that the wisdom of God, you know, I said pursue wisdom found in God, and you find life. So you hear a sermon on generosity. And so you're thinking, am I generous? Have I been generous? Not just with money, but with time and talents, with sacrifice, offering your schedule for the service of others. And then you're supposed to think about it, and then as you hear the text explain about how to be generous, cheerful, sacrificial, then you go and do it. And, and week after week after week, guess what happens after years? You begin to change. And what do you change towards? Well, you change towards looking like God. Or you hear a sermon on on purity, you may struggle with lust. And so you think, you know, I got this struggle. I have this call. God says to walk in purity. I'm going to get some guys around me. I'm going to ask them for help. I'm going I'm to involve other people in my life so that I can begin to walk in increasing purity. 
or, or forgiveness. You hear a sermon on forgiveness, and you think through your relationships, where are you at conflict with other people, and then you begin to think, I've got to go and make peace. I've got to go and reconcile with them. Now, you think about this year, week after week after week, year after year after year, guess what you're going to begin to do? You're going to change. You're not going to be treading water. You're actually going to be starting to swim. And you're going to begin picking up that image of God and, and seeing it flourish and bloom. Uh, so here you have this proverb. There's a call to seek wisdom, pursue wisdom. And wisdom that you need to live is going to be found ultimately in God. That's not to say that other people can't give you wisdom. It's not to say that there aren't other things that we see in life that can help and instruct. But in terms of seeing our image that's been marred by sin begin to re be recovered, speaking of that incremental glory to glory, the Christian is to see this progress in the faith. And it comes through seeking wisdom that's found in God. Now, Solomon knows this is a challenge. This is hard. And so he then gives us the benefit. So in the first eight verses, you're called to pursue wisdom found in God. And in verses 9 to 19, you really have the benefits if you do this. Remember, if you seek, then you will find. And Jesus said, ask and you find, seek, or ask and you receive, seek, and you'll find, knock, and the door will be open. That's the encouragement he's given. And so he's saying here, look at the benefits of this wisdom. And I want to give them to you in two ways. First, they promote life and they protect life. So in 9 to 19, they promote life and protect life. Look at how they promote life. Remember I said, if you, if you receive my instructions, if you cry out, and if you seek, look in verse 5. He says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Look in verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and equity. He's saying, if you seek these things in God, then you will find the knowledge of Yahweh. Don't fly over that. God is using his personal name here to say, you're going to know the Creator. You're going to have a fear of the Creator, and you're going to find knowledge of the Lord. What he's saying here is you're going to come into a deepened understanding of who God is, his beauty, his glory, not just his judgment and power, but of his goodness and his compassion. Uh, please don't set God up simply as a judge. I want you to see him as a loving father for those who have faith in his son. So, so you, the benefit is you're going to come to know in increasing measure the goodness and the mercy, and the holiness, and the beauty of God. But not just you're going to know God, which is going to bring an ethical clarity, a moral reformation. You're also going to understand justice, equity, and righteousness. Notice your life is going to be changed. So you know God, your horizontal dealings are going to change. And we see that Jesus said, I mean, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So the vertical dimension, to the degree that we love and know God, it has to be reflected in how we deal with one another. Is there justice? Is there equity? Is there righteousness in our life? He says, because if you seek this wisdom, you will gain an ethical clarity and a moral reformation that will lead your life to change. 
These, this, these words, righteousness and justice and, and equity, they're really buzzwords. You find them in chapter 1. It, it's kind of the upright life. It's the upright life. It, it, it's the life that's lived with a, a pure conscience. I mean, think about it for a moment. Uh, that moral clarity brings us to making right decisions in life, right? Acting with justice towards others, not injustice. Being equitable with people, being fair. Not conditioned upon color, creed, background. It, just being just, right, and equitable with all people. Think about your life for a moment. I mean, you see how it promotes life. You'd have fewer kind of regrets, you'd have fewer sorrows, you'd have less anxiety because you've sought the wisdom of God, you've lived with righteousness, justice, and equity with people around you, and when you have failed, you've repented, you've made restitution, but you have fewer regrets, fewer sorrows, you're not looking over your back, over your shoulder, you're not living anxious lives. And, and if, you, if you wonder if I'm speaking the truth or not, here's what I propose to you. Grab anybody over 50, and just say, you know what, if you had sought more wisdom from God, and if you had known God better, and if you tried to pursue the wisdom that he gave to you, would you not have less regret? Would you not have less sorrow over what you've done? I, I, there'll be, if any person says no, no difference, I'd like to meet them. I mean, I stand here as one over 50, who if I had followed the wisdom that God had given, if I had walked in concert with the ways of God, I would have less regret in, in my past, as I know you would. So, so what I'm saying is seeking the wisdom found in God, it promotes life, it promotes godliness. Now listen, for those of us with regret, may I remind you of the mercy of God. He has given to us a son who has suffered for our sins. And, and so if regret is burdensome to you, then, then go and confess to God those things. Ask for forgiveness as you look at the sacrifice that he's provided. And, and, and bring to him the weightiness. And make restitution if that's still possible. But repent. He, he gives us a way. Because nobody can live in all these problems. So first, do you see the benefit? He promotes life. He also protects life. He protects your life. Look at how he does it. It, it. Look in 12 and 16. You see these two parallel ideas, and they're kind of summed up in, you will be delivered from, and you see evil men of perverse lips. And look in 16, you will be delivered from the adulteress with her smooth words. I think what he's saying here is if you do seek the wisdom that's found in God, and if you begin to walk it out, you will be delivered. You will be protected. You will avoid the temptations that come with two areas, the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of sex. These are the two age-old problems, right? They're perennial problems. You know, you never, you know, people say you always struggle with both. You know, do you have enough money? Do you have enough sex? They're the two areas of temptation known to men and women across time. It's, it's always been that way, and it'll always be that way. But he says, no, if you get the wisdom of God, you'll be delivered, you'll be protected. You'll notice, you'll have that ethical clarity. So let's start with the first one in verse 12. Look with me at 12 and 13. He says, then you'll be delivered from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. He says, listen, as a man or a woman, 
If you're seeking God's wisdom and you're beginning to live in light of it, you are going to be having moral reformation, ethical clarity, so that when people speak to you in fashion, perverted speech would be lies, exaggerations. Hey, here's a quick rich scheme. You know, here's, here's how we can cut some corners. Uh, we, we can move some things around to make this happen. That idea to make a splash in business or to be a success or to make wealth for yourself, that's tempting to us, and so we can be susceptible to hearing the perverted speech and going along with it. Uh, but if you're pursuing the wisdom of God, you have this ethical clarity. In other words, you recognize that something may be lawful, but not moral. It may not be. It may be lawful, it may not be ethical. And so when you hear about this free lunch that you'll get, if you do this, you're going to be aware of it, and you're going to avoid it. You're going to stay away from it. Quick, rich schemes. Bernie Madoff, remember that name? Hey, hey great return on investment. But you don't want to look too deep into it, but it's going to be good, I can assure you. And a lot of people lost their wealth and fortune because of it. Uh, so he's protecting us, not just from this let's get rich fast, but also from the sexual temptation. Look with me at 16. He says, you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. There is protection offered to us. As we seek the wisdom of God, then we will find protection to avoid the temptation that comes with this kind of freedom of our sexuality, a self-expression. Now, I don't think for a minute that sexual temptation only comes from a woman. He's obviously speaking to his son, and so he's warning him of the temptress. But obviously, sexual temptation comes to all of us, men and women. It's not gender-specific. We all face this. You know, th recently, probably past five or ten years, there's been this increase in the rise and fall podcast. You know, you hear about the rise of so-and-so and then about the fall. So they kind of trace the rise and fall. Uh, one that may be known to you in particular is uh, Mark Driscoll, former pastor of Mars Hill in Seattle. But it talks about his meteoric rise, right? And just this, just this fast track to great success. And then the absolute implosion and fall and and you see these rise and, and they they tell the story and we the listener can see the crack lines in the foundation as it's going up like the tower and then we see the crash and the crash is usually associated with sex or money it can be power it can be power as well popularity success but what he, he's trying to protect us of these things. The benefit of the wisdom is that it helps you to avoid these two traps. Now, let me be clear. The Bible is bold in saying that pleasure and sex is a good thing. It's bold within the confines of a covenant of trust. It's to be pleasurable. Read the Song of Solomon. And money. Money is not a problem. Money has been given to you in Deuteronomy 7, 17, and 18. God has given you wealth so that you'll be generous to others. So wealth is not the issue. It's what do we do with it that can be the issue. So he's protecting us from these common areas of failure, which is in money and sex. He's protecting us from these things. But notice he has an end game in play here. So stick with me. First eight verses. Pursue wisdom in God, 
and you find life. Life will be protected. Life will be promoted. But notice the end game he has in 20 and 21. He says this. He says, so you will walk so you will walk in the way of good, of the good, and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So he's, he's ending the way he began. He began with these if-then clauses, and then he ends with this idea of, you've got two roads here. You, you need to make a decision now. Now, why is he telling his son now? It's hard to turn the ship at 55 or 60, right? So we all know the expression that actions begin to form habits, and habits will ultimately cultivate a character, and character will ultimately forge a destiny. So what we do now, it may be small, it may be insignificant, but it's the old snowball effect. The more it rolls down the hill, the bigger it gets, the heavier it gets, the faster it gets, the harder it is to stop. That's the way life works. And so we want to be mindful now. He's saying here, you got two roads. One will inhabit the land, one will not. What are you going to do? Are you going to pursue wisdom and find life, or are you going to forsake wisdom and find death? That's the question before us. Look at the warning, though. He says, the wicked will be cut off, and the treacherous will be uprooted. The wicked and the treacherous in the Old Testament are those who forsake God's words and who forsake God's wisdom. He says that they will be cut off, uprooted. In other words, that's an Old Testament expression for they will be judged. They'll face judgment. Now think about the nature of forsaking wisdom. Forsaking, you could take cut off and uprooted as exiled. That would be a theological term. That when you forsake his word and you forsake his wisdom, the threat is you'll be exiled. Now we've seen this in Genesis 1 to 11. Adam and Eve, they forsook his word and they were exiled. Cain forsook the word. He was exiled to the east. Israel, the nation of Israel, forsook the word of God, and they were exiled to Babylon. Exile is to be excluded. It's a way of saying you will not be with God on that final day. So folks, this isn't just some wisdom to make it better this week. This has eternal ramifications. It's not that Pursuing wisdom saves us. Christ alone saves, as we're going to find in just a minute. Christ actually is the wisdom of God. But that's meted out through our life. In other words, we are producing evidence for ourselves as to where we are with God. Your own life will be a testifier either for you or against you on the final day. Your own life will. Your own choices will come back and speak. And he's saying... Don't forsake wisdom. You'll be uprooted from the land. You'll be exiled from God. I, I want this to really kind of sober us here. I mean, if you see your life and the track you're on as one leading to this kind of thing, the call in Scripture from, from Genesis chapter 3, when God says, where are you? He calls us to repent and to be saved, and to be reconciled. He calls us to do that. Oh, all the way from chapter 3, all the way even to today. You know, if, if you feel like, I think I'm on this road. I think I'm not going to dwell in the land. Then I'm encouraging you, the mercy of God stands greater than your sin. Repent. That means that you confess your sins, you ask to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven. And then tell someone in this member of this church that you've done that, and 
we would want to speak with you and encourage you towards now growing in that. But notice the promise that he gives. He gives the warning. He gives to us a promise. And the promise is that you will inhabit the land. Now, folks, you've just been with me through Genesis. The land was a promise given to Abraham. And this land is a picture of Eden looking back, and it's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. The Israelites knew that the land in the Middle East that was given, that would not be the final home. Why? Because sin was still part of life. But it was pointing to a promise that God would bring in fullness, which is a new heavens and a new earth. He's saying to, if you walk, you pursue the wisdom of God, you will inhabit the land. You, you will dwell with God. That's what he's saying. You'll dwell with God. But we know we can't pursue this. I mean, this we want to pursue. I, I want to encourage you to do it, but you and I are going to fail. We're going to struggle. And, and the promise to Abraham, knew that he knew the same. The promise is he'd have a land and he would have, he would have sons and daughters. And then the promise was that, what? He would be blessed and be a blessing. Remember that blessing? Remember I explained to you what it was? It wasn't, hey, you're going to have a great week this week. No, the blessing is the promise that he's going to remove the curse. So curses and blessings, they're counterparts. The curse that came is going to be removed. That's the promise of the blessing, that your seed, a seed from the woman, a seed from Abraham, will come and will bring blessing to the nations. He will remove the curse. We know the seed to be, as we saw last week, to be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as the son of Abraham and David to take upon himself our sin and our stain and to bear our curse so that he might bless us with forgiveness, adoption, love, and reconciliation with God. And that comes to us only through faith alone. There's no way to merit that. There's no way to find it on your own. It comes to us through faith as a gift of God. This is the wisdom that we seek. This is the, this is the, the ultimate wisdom is to come to have faith in Christ. And this is what leads us to the table. <clears throat> because the table to you is a declaration of the wisdom of God. Uh, you know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he speaks about Christ being the wisdom of God. How is he the wisdom of God? Well, we see God's perfect wisdom as he, as he brings justice to bear in punishing the Son for us, but he brings mercy to share in offering us forgiveness through faith in Christ. <clears throat> so when you see the bread, it's broken. His body was broken as he bore our sin. And when you see the cup, what you drink is a reminder of the promise that he's made to you that you'll be a son or daughter forever. You know, baptism is celebrated once at the beginning of our Christian faith, but only once. The Lord's Supper is celebrated month after month after month to remind us of the wisdom of God. Uh, this is a wisdom the world can't discover. The, the Greeks, in all of their wisdom, think it's foolish that one would have to die like that. What kind of God is he? The Jews, in all their morality, thought it was a stumbling block. You can't believe I'm that bad that I would need the very Son of God to die for me. But no, in the wisdom of God, he hides it from the wise, and he shows it to us, who are wise enough to admit that we're fools, and we need the wisdom of God. So when you, when you think on the bread, and you look at it, and you look at the cup, remind yourself this is a display of the, marvel over God's wisdom, marvel over it, and then friends, 
as the instruction from this chapter, seek it. Seek the wisdom, knowing Christ, but knowing his word. Let's take a moment and just ask God to cause these truths to be pronounced and pressed into our soul. That may lead some of you to confess your failure to seek wisdom. It may lead some of you to cry out to God to help. Help me see this. Let's just take a minute, though, and try to write our hearts before the Lord, and then I'll pray for us.